0: This is Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jim Grant, and with me, uh, as always, is the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of Grant's, and Eric Whitehead at the dials. And and joining us today, our our very special guest is James Latinsky, who is the founder and uh, chief investment officer in just about every executive position available at uh, JHL Capital Group in Chicago. And today's episode of Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air is brought to you by uh, Well Money for the Rest. Of us, uh, a very fine podcast itself, and uh, LinkedIn Learning, now featuring lynda.com content, the leader in online earning for the past 20 years. Without further ado, welcome Jim Latinsky.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Hey, Jim, we would like to talk with you about a couple of things. One is how you see the, the world at large, um, you know, kind of cosmically. And the second, uh, with which we will begin, is how you view India. And for the information of those who are not in attendance at the, uh, the Grants Conference, it was the spring of 2015, I think, Jim held forth on the, uh, the kind of the country of the future, the country poised on the brink of capitalist emergence. And that country was India. Narendra Modi had only recently, well, not so recently, but he, was, he had come in to take the place in the in America analogy of India with uh, Ronald Reagan. So, uh, Jim, how has this story played out? You talked about the rupee, and you talked about a couple of specific activities, sure. and you talked about the Indian market more broadly. Please bring us up to date.
1: Sure. So I guess since we're starting with India first before the rest of the world, I guess it's almost like having dessert before dinner. So, uh, and so thank you. Thank you you here, and, and yeah, I, you know, since the presentation this past March, I guess I'll start with a plug for you, Jim. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the JHL uh, India Index that we presented this March at Grants is year-to-date up close to 29%, versus the S&P, which is up 12, and the Nifty, which is up a little bit more than that, around 12.5. So we've seen some great performance from the index that we pitched at your conference, and to continue to perform over the next few years, we we view our bullish view on India, and obviously, like with anything in the markets, they'll the fits and start. We view this as sort of a multi-year cost of capital change in the country. And, and to a quick background for the people who maybe weren't, you know, at the presentation. Our general view is that, you know, once we sort of went through nearly a couple years of the Modi election and structural reforms that were being put in place, that the setup in India over the coming, you know, three, five, or seven years is very similar to the setup in the U.S. in the 1980s. Just like the U.S. coming out of the late 70s, India, when uh, at the time of Modi had had about 11% inflation inflation you know there was sort of there was a lot of concern economically there's been a banking cri- uh, i wouldn't call it crisis but a non-performing loan issue very similar to the US in the early 80s and what you've seen in India over the last in the couple years leading up to my presentation at Grant in March and then we can kind of talk about the last 6 months there were a lot of structural reforms that were aimed at reducing the cost of capital reigniting the economy making it an easier place to do business bringing a lot of the informal economy into the formal economy and increasing Tax payments. And and they've really done all of that, as well as set off what we believe will be sort of a residential real estate boom in the coming few years. And so, in the last six months, I think to update the people who who were there and just to kind of give you a lay of the land, you know, the GST reform, which was the goods and services tax, which was passed and and implemented on July 1st of this year, which caused sort of a, a couple tough quarters, has, you know, sort of gone through and that's been very effective. And so, we're actually kind of, it's an interesting time, I think, in the country because we've had sort of a couple quarters of a little sloppiness of kind of getting this in, and that's really eased the ability to do business. There's still a lot of work to do on that front. The government recently announced, a little little over a couple months ago, a big recap plan for the Indian bank. So there's, you know, so one of the big outstanding issues in the Indian economy was the banking sector. There's estimated to be north of $200 billion U.S. dollars of non-performing loans, and now there's a very interesting recap plan underway, and so that ignited excitement in the banking sector. Uh, the country was just upgraded by Moody's, and I On top of that, there was also some new bankruptcy reforms in in recent weeks. So that all really adds up to we're seeing increasing signs of the structural reforms that we were talking about, you know, at grants in March. We're seeing that kind of continue. And we we think it's a really interesting time tactically because Modi, who has a very high approval rating, his approval rating is in the 80s. You know, and, and of course, in different states and provinces, there'll be elections that may go one way or the other. But in general, Modi is very popular and in the lead up into an election in May of 2019 for his hopeful re-election, I think you're going to see a lot of stimulus in the economy. And so we really expect sort of the next year to look really good, again, I mean, how barring how, how, um, the rest of the world.
0: How about at the stock, individual stock level and indeed at the index level? Uh, tell us about the valuations in India and about what specific opportunities might remain after a not sure. insignificant run-up.
1: And that's a great question because one of the things that one has to be careful of is, is that the markets are aware of all of this. This is you know, somewhat of a consensus view and stock prices are high, especially in the private sector bank you know you some of them are trading at four or five times book value what we believe is that you're gonna see a a continuing decline in the cost of capital in the coming few years in the country and so what we really want to do is we want to focus on certain areas of financials but also real estate you know and other sort of consumer areas and so what I would tell you also is that the bank recap plan is really attractive for some of the corporate lenders and also the public sector banks relative to the private sector banks so coming into the recap plan that was announced in recent months you know, the obvious trade was to just own the really well run uh, foreign loved banks, HDFC and Kotech. Those are now going to have increased competition, and we still think those are interesting over the coming years. But we really like, for example, ICIC and State Bank of India, who, on a relative basis, you know, ICIC trades about what we believe one and a little over one times their adjusted book value, which adjusts for a really good mutual fund business that they have, an insurance business, and some other operations. And so there are uh, sort of certain areas you can go, where you can get a lot of value. But as a whole, I would say there's no question that India is kind of one of the most popular of the EM markets. So you have to be a lot more tactical. The one other thing I would add, though, is that we are very bullish, the currency. And so people might not be aware, but the RBI has north of 400 billion U.S. dollars of reserves. They've actually been intervening in the market several billion a month to keep the rupee from appreciating too much. So we think you have this really interesting setup where you have a very exciting market, inflation coming down, the cost of Capital coming down, growth very high, especially when you look at the rest of the world. Lots of capital flows, and they're actually spending to kind of keep it tame. So you know you have sort of some downside protection. Should there be sort of a, a global movement out of you know emerging markets, you know that the RBI is very comfortable sitting with a 400 billion in reserves position, and so you kind of have some downside protection, and you have sort of this drumbeat of continual flows into the country. So we think you can own you know securities in the country or bonds, and um, you know currency unprotected if you're. A U.S. dollar-based investor, and maybe no, maybe especially if you're a Bitcoin-based investor.
0: Now, if you are looking for an alternative podcast, I mean, you can't listen to this one over and over again. It'd be silly. May I suggest Money for the Rest of Us, its a show about money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. Good luck on that one, uh, anyway. But here's how Money for the Rest of Us listeners describe this personal finance show in recent Apple podcast reviews. Quote, wonderful financial insights in a relaxed style. Close quote. Reopen quote. Excellent resource for the thoughtful investor, quote, unquote. And Money for the Rest of Us is one of the freshest, most relevant podcasts I've heard in a long time. So here are a couple of examples of what you will find on Money for the Rest of Us. Are you investing, speculating, or gambling? Will Social Security go bankrupt? And clues to the next financial crisis. So you can subscribe to Money for the Rest of Us on your favorite podcast app, or to learn more, go to MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Jim, um, I bungled the introduction a little by dating your uh, good... India call in uh, the fall of 2015. No. What well, I should I have said. Is, you, wait, 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 wait. I... Oh, okay. <laughs> what I should have said. What I should have said, and will say now, is that the fall of 2015 was your memorable pan of valiant pharmaceuticals and a host, uh, not host, but a, a semi-host of other so-called platform companies. Uh, speaking of panning, panned out very well indeed. So you mentioned global. Do take us on a yes. small, short tour of the rest of the world, starting perhaps, or certainly ending, if you must, in the United States, and how you see the, sure. uh, shall we call it, the exuberant market here.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I, I certainly think it's late cycle macroeconomically. I, I think had we, you know, had this been a normal business cycle, you know, certainly we would be long in the tooth. It'd be very late, just given the the time duration. But of course, we've been in this world of you know trillions of QE, and so uh, essentially we have, you know, the the big. When you look at the amount of QE that the big three central banks have done, you know, there's there's no question that they've created what I call a collectibles boom. You know, if you look at it from the the sort of very and, and obviously a lot of people have talked about this, but the you know the, the non economic but very exciting growth stock of the, the Netflixes and Teslas of the world and then I think you're seeing now the further creep and in, into into things like Bitcoin. And I actually believe that all of that is is actually connected. And what that is is essentially the the big central banks have you know they've really ruined the concept of money and private market risk. And you know a lot of people trading these things, especially in cryptocurrency, you know, these are people who barely remember 08. and in the late nineties, you know, a lot of them they, they certainly weren't investing they may have been in grade school. And, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but but memories are very thin, you know, are very short in, in our business. And and so I, I think you're sort of seeing some of this same movie again with this stuff. And then the the backdrop, though, is ultimately as the, you know, as the Federal Reserve comes out, you still have the ECB and the Bank of Japan, you know, sort of supporting asset prices. The, and as you've obviously written about plenty, I do think, though, that the thing people don't fully appreciate is at this point, just given the amount of, of inter- intervention, it's not necessarily a question of do all. Of the central banks have to stop for there to be a crash. The question is just the derivative, you know, the rate of change. And and now that the US has gone from a buyer of assets to a seller of assets and the ECB looks like it's close behind and you're starting to see some of these things, you know, like the like Bitcoin mania, you're seeing these very late cycle things and so I'm I am particularly bearish financial asset prices. I mean, I guess that you know that's probably very consensus in this forum and and I've had that view though admittedly for for over a year. So I so I've certainly been early and wrong in that respect. I would I I would sort uh, of end which, with, with which, one.
0: which financial asset prices in particular what what departments of the capital markets in your view are most vulnerable
1: well really all of them i would watch the most speculative areas well, who knows is if the if what we're seeing in these recent days is, is sort of a you know a real change or just a rotation but i think you watch the most speculative areas which would be you know sort of big collectibles tech, and and cryptocurrency and all of these things to see if you know risk returns but then also you know and and again as you've stated much better than me the the global bond markets and just you know Know, certainly i think what will change this cycle which will be different than sort of prior cycles is that i do think that when the turn comes you'll see all financial assets you know go lower as opposed to just prior booms there was always something that got cheap and this time around you know a lot of people justify a bullish or a fully invested position by oh well you know stocks are the best place to be well that's just because we're you know in a bond driven bubble that doesn't mean that that they're great risk rewards and so i just don't see great risk reward out there I, there's no question that you know this can continue for a while but if you just step back and think about it, you know, you're from an upside downside standpoint, it's just it's not great risk word out there in any financial asset.
0: Please tell us how JHL Capital Group, your fund, is yeah, positioning sure. itself. But before that, LinkedIn Learning kindly is uh, helping to sponsor this episode. And uh, LinkedIn Learning now features the uh, content of lynda.com, L Y N D A, the leader in online learning for the past 20 years. Now, LinkedIn Learning is for problem solvers, for go getters, for people, you know, like listeners to this particular. The radio station. Now, whether you work in finance, run your own company, or just want to better manage your money, LinkedIn Learning is your Swiss army knife of applicable skills. They have courses on finance foundations, including business valuation, income taxes, risk management courses, and running a profitable business and accounting foundations, plus weekly series on finance and accounting tips, as well as personal finance. For instance, there is a, a Finance Foundations episode by Jim and Earl K. Stice. And it's a broad primer on uh, diverse topics sort of ranging from uh, uh, reading balance sheets to conducting security analysis and, and managing your own dough. So with a, a LinkedIn Learning membership, you can, for example, quickly find the right video course for you and for the extensive library of yours. You can learn from industry experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can explore course recommendations curated just for you. So uh, yeah, we have a special deal for you. You can get a free 30-day trial with LinkedIn Learning today by visiting linkedin.com That's grant. That's grant. G-R-A-N-T. That's linkedin.com slash grant, all lowercase. Thank you, LinkedIn Learning, for sponsoring this podcast.
1: The most exciting areas, I mean, on the long side, as I've discussed, we are really bullish India. And so we're positioned there currency-wise, you know, in equity and credit. And then I would say the other thing, you know, we're. I think the next sort of area of leadership will be, you know, will be sort of some of the kind of recently forgotten areas of commodities and, and things like that. And so we've got a few things on that front, but I don't worry about everything. So I'm not really... Really doing too much there, but I do think that that will be an interesting area to look. Uh, we, we also have a private business and, that we're really excited about on that front in the rare earth business. But then on the short side, I think that the most interesting thing to do is just to look at volatility. And at the la- for those who haven't seen it, the Taconic presentation at your last conference I thought was outstanding. And, and I've certainly written about it. You guys have written about it plenty of just this idea that this next cycle will be a volatility oriented crash where you'll see this suppressed volatility unwind. And so, you know, every day I come in and I just Want to buy volatility, whether it's in rate, equities, or wherever, you know. And to me, it's just a question of what your budget is, because you know certainly the markets can stay irrational longer than they can, you you know, longer than you can stay solvent, as as the famous expression is. And so we're just really focused on on kind of having a a volatility budget, and then when I think it starts to go, then you can kind of get really big in it. And so it's just a question of kind of when that happens, you know, if it happens.
0: Let me ask you this with respect to positioning and uh, capital allocation: Uh, How is how big is your cash allocation, and how big? Is it relative to where it might have been at previous moments in the markets when you thought things were just plainly and widely yeah. too high?
1: Well, we and we are running neutral in equities, and we have forty percent of the fund in cash. But then that's also not including, you know, we have quite we have a pretty big uh, rupee position, um, and so we are running with a very high cash balance. H- historically, we've always had a little bit of a cash balance. We don't, you know, we're not a, a big leverage investor, and historically, we've been willing to run very long, you know, from two thousand nine through two thousand twelve. We we're on average well north of 50% long, sometimes up to 80% net long. And now, you know, in the last sort of year and change, we've been running roughly neutral in equities and been, you know, continually overspending our budget buying volatility and been been wrong on that front, but continue to believe that that, you know, the sort of the prudent way to be is to just be defensive and wait. But I, I also, you know, the, the challenge is just you have big banks that have decided that they are going to, you know, interfere with the pricing of risk and, and who knows how long that can last. And, and so it's very humbling as this business, always is and, and painful but um you know until that breaks we don't see a lot of good reward out there for the risk uh, Jim just given that your view of the market is that there's unexploded ordinance kind of standing in front of us but you don't know when you're going to step on it are there any places where like domestic investors who can't buy Indian equities uh, could actually get a good risk reward or at least you know, a safe place to hide cash for the interim you know it's t- it's tough I mean I guess it, the answer is is cash you know I think not enough is written about the option value of cash but you hopefully should have a few hikes coming today and so what I would say, and maybe it's counterintuitive, but I would tell people, you know, to answer your question, there's, there's not a lot of good ways to get India. You can actually get, um, you can own ICIC, which has an ADR. And so I would recommend IBM, the ticker, and you can buy, there's, you know, some ETFs that you can get that exposure for retail type investors. But what I would also say is don't be afraid to just have cash. You're earning 100 basis points today. And who knows, you know, there was a time when you were earning 1,000 basis points on your cash way long before people remember. So if you think about it, you preserve your optionality you may see an increasing return on your cash balance versus versus a lot of your alternatives where you have to put money to work in equities that are uh, you know 3 or 4% free cash flow yield that will quickly become a lot lower than that if we ever have a recession again.
0: Hey, thank you, Jim Latinsky, the uh, founder and chief investment officer of JHL Capital Group in Chicago. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode of Grants of the Air. And uh, please join us again soon.